Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. So we're continuing the sermon series, Christmas Carol Theology, and today we're looking at a hymn we just sang, O Little Town of Bethlehem. I don't know if you knew this or not, but doing some research this week, I came across the understanding that a lot of of our Christmas carols were actually songs that were written for children that somehow have made it into popular culture and have lasted for generations in some instances. Uh, and, And now they're not only for children to sing, but they're for all of us to sing. And this particular song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, started very much that same way. Uh, A British hymnologist by the name of J.R. Watson recounts how the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, became one of our most beloved Christmas songs. Apparently a man named Phillips Brooks wrote this Christmas hymn for a Sunday school class that he taught at his Philadelphia church. It's called Holy Trinity Church. But he wrote it as a response to a pilgrimage that he took in the year 1865. So the hymn was originally printed on an informal leaflet in December 1868, so it took him a couple of years to come up with the lyrics for the song. And it was sung initially just by his Sunday school class. Eventually in 1871, the song appeared in the Sunday school hymnal, which is actually a a, a circulated material that went around between different churches in the early 20th century. And later on, O Little Town of Bethlehem became a universal Christmas hymn for all of us. According to Watson's story of how the song came to be, Phillips Brooks, who went on a one-year trip around the world, ended up traveling on horseback between Jerusalem and Bethlehem on Christmas Eve in 1865. Watson recounts in a journal entry from Mr. Brooks about how that Christmas Eve so many years ago impacted Brooks' life. And here's the journal entry, and we have this recorded. It says, before dark, and again, this is uh, Phillips Brooks talking, before dark, we rode out of town to a field where they say the shepherds saw the star. It's now a fenced piece of ground with a cave in it, in which, strangely enough, they put the shepherds. Somewhere in those fields we rode through, the shepherds must have been As we passed, the shepherds were still, in this time, keeping watch over their flocks or leading them home to fold. Another hymnologist named Albert Bailey continues on with this story, and he writes that Mr. Brooks actually participated that night in the Christmas Eve service conducted in Constantine's ancient basilica that was built in the year 326 A.D. It was built there on the traditional site where many people believe the nativity actually happened. Mr. Brooks participated in that service from 10 p.m. until 3 a.m. on Christmas morning. And the sequence of events provided the backdrop for Brooks's hymn. I don't know about you guys, but I just can't imagine being in the Holy Land on one of the most holy times of the year, right? To be there near the church of the nativity, to be riding back and forth between Jerusalem and Bethlehem on the eve of the birth of the Savior of the world. I'd probably write a hymn about it too if I wasn't so terrible at writing hymns, but we got to sing a little bit of it, and I want to read to you guys a verse that we didn't sing. The third verse of this hymn goes like this, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, Cast out our sin and enter in. 
be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. What a great song, huh? Today, as we celebrate the second Sunday of Advent, we're reminded that God provided hope to his people, right? Last week, we lit the candle of hope, and today we lit the candle of love. But now there's a caveat to the candle of love. It's not just the candle of love. It's also the candle of love slash preparation. Last week, we talked a lot about our human need for a Savior, how we were created to be in relationship with God, and then we immediately messed that up. In the very same book of Genesis where things began, we see sin begin also in chapter 3. So one, everything's perfect. Two, everything's great. God loves it. And three, dang it, we messed it up. And it just seems like from that moment on, humanity has done whatever we can to try to get ourselves back in relationship with God. And God had a plan knowing that we were going to potentially mess things up and provided a hope for us that at this point in history, when Bethlehem was just a sleepy little town, nobody understood. The Advent candle we lit today is a reminder to focus on the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God that's expressed in the world. And it also is reminding us that God was preparing salvation for us before we even knew we needed it. This morning, we'll also talk about how we too need to be prepared again, even in this time, to not just receive Jesus who's already come, but a Jesus who has come before and will come again. Our world needs a Messiah. Our world needs a Savior. And I think 2020 has reminded, that, uh, reminded us of that better than any year in our past. So, you know, we talked last week about how we messed up creation. But if we go a little bit further, we see that God is already implementing a plan. So many of you guys already know the story of Abraham and Sarah, right? A very, very old man who was obedient to God and he loved God, but didn't have any children. And so in ancient Israel, this was a big deal because Abraham had gained lots of wealth and he had, you know, property and things. And, and there was nobody to inherit that. Also, if you don't have any progeny, if you don't have anybody to remember you, what good was life, right? Like we, the idea of progeny back in ancient Israel was that you got to be remembered for eternity as long as you had an error, not an error, an heir, somebody who would speak about who you were, tell stories about you. This is, this is a very important aspect of the ancient Israelite faith. And so if Abraham died without an heir, then all of his stuff would be dispersed and it would be gone and no one would be there to take care of Sarah and the end of the family line happens. And so God shows up in Abraham's life and he says, hey, Abraham, I know you're 99 years old, but guess what? You're going to have a son and your wife, who's just a little bit younger than you, she's going to bear you a son at this ridiculous ripe age. And then Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 says this, God promises Abraham, he says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This bright light of hope set the stage, not simply for just a child, for an elderly Hebrew couple, but it also set the stage for God to do something incredible through the line of Abraham and his family. It was a promise to the whole world that God was making a plan to bless us through the gift of a child. 
We talked a lot last week about how the world was draped in darkness and we needed God to come and break in and you know, give us light. But in that particular time where Abraham was around, there was, there was no sign of who God was, really. The, if we go a little bit further into uh, the, the life of the Israelite people, we can see that the Israelites were run over by all kinds of different empires, right? So they were run by the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Seleucids, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Greeks. And then in the time when Jesus shows up in the world, the Israelites were being controlled by the Romans, it was a dark time for the Israelite people. Uh, none of these governments treated them well. They didn't recognize that God existed. Many of them perverted the worship in the temple. A lot of them actually tried to destroy the temple. They tore down the, the walls of Jerusalem, their, their holy city. And here we are in the Roman Empire, right? So we're setting the stage back to the time where Jesus shows up. And, and during that time where the Roman Empire is around, the, the second temple was already built. So the walls had been torn down, the temple was destroyed, but it had already been rebuilt. And in this time, it was one of the darkest times that the Hebrews had ever known. In the time that Jesus showed up into the world, it was a time where the world didn't care about living for God. Many other nations rejected the idea that God even existed. The world seemed to be solely concerned about power and wealth and might and gaining and me and me. We don't recognize any of that about today's world, right? Like we're so different now than we've ever been. It's great. Um, and so we see that God was already preparing a plan to hatch for God to show up into the world. And so God began to speak through voices during this time where uh, it wasn't just the Romans, but like during the Babylonian empire and the Assyrian empire, when, when they had been taken from their homeland and Jews were dispersed all throughout the Babylonian empire, God spoke through his prophets, through Amos, through Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, and especially speaking through Isaiah to talk about how God had a plan. And God was setting the stage for a change that he was going to make in the world that would affect everything throughout human history. Through the voices of the prophets, God told the people that the time of darkness was coming to, the, to an end and the light of life was coming into the world. God began to prepare the world for the Messiah, the promised deliverer of the Jewish nation. The prophecies that God spoke through the prophets foretold of one who would come to set the people free, like to, to cast off the chains of bondage. These Israelites were no longer going to be subject to, to foreign governments. And so the Israelite people, the Hebrews, they expected like this awesome ruler. I'm, I'm thinking somebody like Dwayne the Rock Johnson showing up, right? Shirtless with like a sword and like, you know, like massive manly man, you know, to come and heal the land and, and set the people free. But that wasn't a part of God's plan. And so when the Hebrew people heard the, the, the Israelite prophets speak, they were excited, but they didn't know for sure who the Messiah was going to be. But later on in the book of Isaiah, we get to kind of see a better glimpse of who God was sending. We see snippets of the Christ that will come. And so the book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus showed up. And in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, we get the first little piece of what God is putting into practice, what God is putting into play, like little words and, and phrases that we recognize only once we've received Jesus, that we can go, oh yeah, 
Isaiah was talking about Jesus, right? So in Isaiah 7, 14, this will be on the screen. You could follow along. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Do you guys know what Emmanuel means? God with us. God with us. So this prophecy becomes reality in Luke chapter 1. We see the angel Gabriel showing up in the life of a little woman, right? A young, a very young woman named Mary, who was a virgin. And he tells her that she is going to be the one that bears God's son. And I say this every year. I just can't imagine being a young woman. And, and if you know anything about that ancient Israelite tradition, a young betrothed woman could be anywhere between the ages of 12 and like 16, 17. She was very young. And to be able to bear the burden of the birth of Jesus the Christ. I can't imagine being that young and that immature and being told news like that. Scripture goes on, Isaiah, later on in chapter 40, he continues and he bears witness to who would prepare the way for Jesus, right? So now we don't only see just a prophecy about who's coming, but who's coming to prepare, right? It's a really weird situation. In Isaiah chapter 40, 1 through 5, it says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her, her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for your God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged place as a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And again, we see this prophecy being fulfilled in Luke chapter 3, just a couple of chapters later, when we're told about the messenger who's setting the stage for who, who's coming. It's who? Who is it that speaks? Out in the wilderness. Anybody remember? It's John the Baptist, Right? So he dresses in camel hair and he eats locusts and wild honey. He's a weird dude. And he's telling the world, prepare yourselves because God is doing something incredible right here and right now. And eventually Jesus comes and, and meets with John the Baptist and is baptized. And in that moment, he receives the Holy Spirit and God reveals to everybody in attendance that this is my son. He's the one who I've sent and I love him. Isaiah continues on even more to kind of complete the whole story of what the Messiah is going to be for his people. In Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 12, it says this, He grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that would, we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers are silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
by oppression and judgment. He was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities." Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, right? And coming on the backside of history, we see all of those things in the life of Jesus, right? And this was, again, written 700 years before Jesus even showed up. It is clear to me, and it should be clear to you, that God has had a plan for the salvation of his people for a long, long time. And this morning, as we've read and sung through the words of the Christmas song, A Little Town of Bethlehem, we remember that this little town was not coincidental in God's plan. In the book of Micah, we see that Bethlehem was planned, was the planned place where the Messiah was going to be born. In Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 9, it says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. When the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, we will rise against them seven shepherds and eight commanders who will rule the land of Assyria with a sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on any man. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forests, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes, and no one can rescue. Your hand will be lifted in triumph over your enemies, and all your foes will be destroyed. It sounds a little bleak, but God is promising his people who have been hurt and enslaved and abused and spit on and their God has been taken away from them and their temple destroyed and their city gates smashed. These people who've been dispersed among the different empires who lived far from one another, who couldn't worship God the way they wanted to, couldn't be in the temple like they were required to and couldn't make the sacrifices that God asked them to. God had a plan. God wasn't just going to heal the Hebrew people. God had a bigger plan that the Hebrew people didn't even understand at the time. That God was going to heal the whole world. As we move further along in the story of the coming of Christ in our Advent season, we find God preparing for and immediately setting the stage for his plan to actually take place. And so in the book of Luke chapter 2, 
we see that Caesar had called for this census, right? And we just did a census this year. For us, it was super easy, right? How many of you guys did it online? I did. Anybody have anybody knock on your door, show up at your house? No, nobody? For us, census, senses, censuses, sense, sense I are, <laughs> so yeah, sure, whatever. So for, for us to fill out a census form is pretty simple, but back in the ancient times, Caesar had called for this census to happen where you were supposed to take your family and all your belongings and you were supposed to go back to your homeland. So we called Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, right? But he wasn't born in Nazareth, Na Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem because he was born at a time where a census needed to be come or needed to be done. And so when he was, when Joseph and Mary were traveling and they showed up to Bethlehem in, in the place where their ancestor, David, was from, Jesus was born on the road, right? Jesus was born in a place that wasn't really familiar to Joseph and Mary. But it was a place that, that God had foretold was going to happen. And so God had, had taken this piece of scripture, right, about Bethlehem and, and Micah and taken a, an event in history, the census that needed to be done. And God worked out a plan and made Jesus show up at just the right time to fulfill a prophecy that pointed the world to who he was. In Luke 2, 1 through 7, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And guys, the Roman world was huge. It wasn't just Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It was people from all over. I'm talking from like almost near France, right? So the German area from there all the way to near India. People having to travel to their homelands to be registered. And it says in verse 2, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That ancient understanding of who the Messiah was revealed that the Hebrews only thought about their particular situation, right? The Hebrews only thought about their own world, right? They were, they were very kind of focused on their God and their temple and their people. And they didn't recognize that God was doing something even bigger than they could have imagined. Because, again, we light the candle today of both preparation, learning about God's plan from the very beginning to set the stage, to bring into the world salvation and hope and peace and love. And we also talk about love today, right? In John 3.16, we hear why God made himself a savior. John 3, 16 through 19, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. 
light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Jesus shows up into a very dark world and brings light that some people, even to this day, still reject. It's easier for us to be people of darkness, isn't it? It's easy for us to do the, the easy thing, the sinful thing, the thing that feels good. And it's really hard for us to live our lives like Jesus. Friends, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this, that God was and still is working out a plan for you and I to be set free from sin. To me, there's always something special about the Christmas season. There's just a feeling, right? Like, you know you've entered Christmas season when people are, like, honking less at each other. People are cutting in line a little less. People are being a little bit kinder. Every year, it just kind of seems like that degree of difference between normal life and Advent becomes a little bit thinner, right? Like, we become darker as the world becomes darker. And we forget that Jesus came to bring light. But in this Advent season where things feel even just, it might not be so big a difference as we felt in the past because we're dealing with, you know, Jesus coming at a time of pandemic and a time of political unrest, even in the world's greatest democracy. We have to remember in this season that God gave us Jesus Christ so that we can be for the world a voice of hope in the darkness. Friends, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired of the loudest voices in the world being voices of hurt and of hate and of anger and of divisiveness. I want the voice of Jesus to be the voice that we hear. Why is it that we're afraid to speak? about the love and the peace and the hope and the joy that Jesus brings. Just as Christmas is the time where God gave us Christ, for us it becomes the season of giving also, right? So we express our love of God by loving others, right? We give gifts, and it's not always like big things. Like sometimes it's just the gift of time that matters in this season, right? especially when people have been so separated by, you know, Zoom meetings and, you know, face masks and six feet. Sometimes we have to be in, intentional about giving even small things to people who need. It's not always about just preparing meals for people who are homeless. It's not just always about us doing angel trees for people who have less. Sometimes it's about looking around the people here right in our own congregation or right in your own neighborhoods who just need a friend. I know that even in this space, there are people in this room who are dealing with things that nobody else even knows about. For some of them, it's just too much. Christ came into the world so that we didn't have to bear our sins by ourselves, but we had somebody to bear our sins with and for us. And if we call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, then we also need to bear each other's burdens with one another as well. We need to follow the example that Jesus gave. So friends, I encourage you, 
not just during Advent season, but every day, find a way to reach into the life of somebody near you and show them that you care. Today, as we celebrate the second week in our season of Advent, the week of love and preparation, let us find ways to love our neighbors as God loves us. Let's sacrifice some of the things that we have so that we can show that love to people who need it. Let's give of our time and of our resources, not just this season, but every season, to make the world a better place, to represent the Jesus who showed up, to break light into the darkness. On this day, may each of us be reminded of God's incredible plan that, that that ends in salvation for us. And let all of us, you and I and everyone watching at home, let each of us play a role in bringing about this kingdom of light right here and right now. Friends, the world has never needed Jesus more than it does now. And you might be the only Jesus that somebody sees this week. Let us be the messengers of God's love. Let us be the truth at work in the world. And let us be the hands and feet of Jesus. Friends, I hate that Advent season is only from like the first week of December until Christmas. Because I love the way Christmas feels, right? I love the smells. I love the lights. I love the snow that we don't get anymore. I love all the things about Christmas that I wish we could keep year round. Like if we could just have the governor, listen, Governor Stitt, if you're watching, let's declare all 2021 Christmas year. I don't know. There is so much that we have to be thankful for in the midst of some of the darkest times we have ever known in our lifetimes. God has given us such good gifts and the gift of Jesus is the perfect gift for us to share with the world. So friends, this week and always, let's live more like him and less like we want to. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.